0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gianni. Happy Sunday, March 5th, franchise tag deadline week. Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, is the deadline for teams to offer the franchise or transition tag to a respective player. Certainly some names still to come. Uh, deadline spur actions, as Andrew Brent tells us every single year. It's coming. And that's sort of the root of my conversation today. I'm going to start with the Dallas Cowboys. Not really a tag-related conversation, although Tony Pollard is in that market. Um, But I'm going to respond to, I think, what is a significant story, which is Jerry Jones basically saying Dak Prescott's contract is a problem. I'm going to give you every angle I can give you from a number standpoint and every number I can give you from every number standpoint to give you a both sides of the story conversation with how Dallas has handled the Zeke Elliott, Dak Prescott, last five or six years uh, from a number standpoint. And then similar conversation, but very different, and I think very different ending. Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, where are we going with that? Not just a what is Lamar worth conversation, I promise. I'm I'm sure you're sick of those. And uh, those are not stopping, by the way, because if he doesn't get the franchise tag, look out. Full conversation about the spending cash spending in the Baltimore Ravens, and then specifically the wide receiver, the tight end, the combined pass catching spending of the Baltimore Ravens in what I think is the total Lamar Jackson era now. And then a few thoughts on Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, where those franchise tags are headed and where those multi-year contract extensions might be headed as well. So it's an all football show, Dallas, Baltimore, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith. That's all next. I put out a passive-aggressive tweet that was referencing the Dallas Cowboys. For those of you who don't know, right, We're running backs and quarterbacks comments. Look, it's combine week slash weekend. This uh, this time of year drives me absolute berserk because of the smoke and mirrors, because of the minutia, because of the rumors, because everybody's kind of sitting together in one room, and ideas quickly turn into tweets, and tweets quickly turn into stories, and stories quickly turn into. Well, that's where we're going with this whole conversation. I stay away from it. One particular thing stood out to me, and it was the Cowboys' comment. I think it, I think it was Jerry Jones himself, basically referencing. And look, this was very much taken out of context. So I'm going to I'm going to display both sides of the story here, at least from my point of view. Basically, saying it's complicated to, to build a roster with a quarterback contract that like we have. Totally fair sentiment. There are 15 other organizations in the league that can, that can claim this right now. And the word impossible wasn't used and the word, you know, insurmountable wasn't used. Simply just saying it's, it gets difficult. This is an organization that is polarizing from A to B, from Jerry Jones all the way down to, you know, the logo, right? The stadium, everything about this organization is over-talked about. I want to I want to spell this out with numbers because it's something I don't do enough of even on this show specifically but uh I don't want to just throw out loose tweets and then not have anything to back it up with. This is why this is how I assess the Cowboys, a team I actually like a lot right now, quite a bit. I think whatever happens in New York with this Daniel Jones situation and we're going to get there is going to be not so much a step back but I think is going to infringe on how they're going to be getting better immediately. It's going to take a minute with Joe Shane and that Brian Brian Dable system to fit every element, right? It took a couple of years in Buffalo and then the the year before Dable shipped off to New York, the right move, by the way, for him, Buffalo really started to have that roster together and it takes time. It takes drafts. It takes free agencies. It takes trades. It takes everything. They've been through it. They know where this is going, but I think this kind of shock with a Daniel Jones contractor for even a franchise tag, which is even more damaging cap wise. And then a Barkley loss and a lot of defensive losses and a letter Williams situation, yada, yada, yada. My point is the giants could be drawing back just a little bit on the field in 2023. So I actually think the Cowboys, and by the way, Philly, we've talked about a lot of free agents, a lot of holes to fill, the Jalen Hurts contracts coming. that's not going to affect them cap wise this year, as we know, but there's just a lot of miles to feed. So it's there to take if Dallas can figure this thing out. So Jerry Jones coming out and saying, look, we're, we're, you know, it's a difficult task. Dak's going to need another contract, not because he's playing out of his mind and simply has to get out of this current one. It's because he's got two years left on this thing. He's got a near $50 million cap it this year. He's got a $52 million cap it next year. They're going to restructure something this year to bump up that 52 to even more next year. There's already two void years on this contract. He's approaching 30 years old in in about, you know, three months here. It just, it's just how this thing works. It's why Kirk cousins every couple of years continually gets another two years guaranteed tacked on it's cap cap equals cash for these quarterbacks, because you have to manage this thing. You have to keep the train moving. And if you're still worthy to be around for two, three years, Teams are just going to continue to do this. Hell, the Detroit Lions did this with Matthew Stafford, even though they had absolutely no other part of their roster intact, right? It was just a, a, a baloney at a wall situation, but they loved the quarterback, the guy they drafted and homegrown. It, it's just how it works out. It's why Stafford's top five in all-time earnings right now. Not to mention that the lack of the rookie wage to go when he joined the league. But Dak's getting into this conversation. And... You know they're going to have to do something if not this year, immediately at the end of next year, to get out of that 52 plus million to get him a nice big juicy signing bonus again, to keep the void years from automatically voiding after 2024 to keep make sure the dead cap is spread out as much as possible, and just keep the train on chucking. So, so the deck side of this is real, and I do want to poke one hole in a lot of things people are saying. I'm going to break it down year by year here for you. But just keep this in mind. In 2021, when this contract was signed with Dak, remember there was a last minute tag that um, quickly converted into the the multi year extension. And it was the second tag because, of course, he played on that first tag in 2020. So they slapped the second tag on him for a minute and a half, immediately announced the four year, $160 million contract, $95 million fully guaranteed at signing, $126 million uh, totally guaranteed, which includes this upcoming season, fully guaranteed salaries for 2023. It's the 95 I want to to talk about. We've talked about this before. You probably heard it elsewhere as well. Guaranteed money at signing on NFL contracts. The owner takes it out of his pocket and puts it in an NFL account. It goes into escrow. The league still requires owners to front that money for privacy, safety, security purposes, blah, 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 even though everybody's making a billion dollars a year here. So $95 million cash had to leave Jerry Jones and had to go to an NFL escrow account. That is something worth commenting on from his point of view, right? That's not nothing. You know, and we've had a handful of owners now pumping out near 100 million like this for their quarterbacks. We're going to see the Bengals do it most likely unless they do some sort of craziness with the guaranteed signing. We're definitely going to see the Eagles do it based on what happened with Carson Wentz a couple years back there. So, it, it That's a point that can't get glossed over. That's a significant transaction for anybody, any human being, right? Even if they're oil men like Jerry Jones. $95 million, leaving your account and going to another account. It's a big enchilada. So we we focus so much on cap and AAV and blah, blah, blah. This is a cash conversation right now. Right? That's a real cash transaction. Now, Dak didn't get it all at once, right? He got 75 million upfront, basically 66, You know, the second he signed that March 9th deal, although I'm sure there were some payment payment scheduling, uh, maybe a couple of years, maybe every six months, something like that. You never know. It's all customized based on the negotiation process. But that 95 goes away immediately for Jerry Jones. So 75 million cash in 2021 allocated on the books to the Dallas Cowboys. That's not nothing. That's a huge one-year payout especially for a player that at the time, right, was coming off the injury, had the franchise tag. That's a big payout. It's a big, big enchilada that a lot of these quarterbacks are now going gonna to try to exceed, if not meet. It's not going to be likely, right? Mahomes didn't even make $64 million in the first three seasons of his new contract. Different animals, different strokes for different situations. But this conversation... Absolutely backs up what Jerry Jones is saying. Those are now look, self-induced, right? <laughs> they waited. they They let this thing get to a franchise tag. They let this get thing get to a second franchise tag. Then they signed their starting quarterback. That was the genesis of my tweet. and i I, I rolled in some running back conversation as well, which i'll I'll get to in a second here. So this was a self-induced problem. It didn't have to go this way. Dak Prescott, a fourth round pick out of Mississippi State, right? The number 135 overall pick who started immediately, played 16 games for three straight seasons. And then of course needed a contract extension, didn't get one. Now he was holding out for 40 million. He knew that 40 was the number. He knew that 40 in 2021 was going to be 50 in 2022. And it sure as hell was. That's where Aaron Rodgers got one year later. So the expedition of this whole process was clear as day to anybody following this stuff. And the Cowboys knew it. And the Cowboys were simply looking to tread water a little bit. And in doing so, you can say that Dak Prescott got the exact contract he deserved, fair market value, $40 million a year, two years fully guaranteed, three years guaranteed after two. That's that's standard stuff. That's the contract I'm floating out for Daniel Jones. That's the contract that you know Geno Smith, maybe one year less, should be considering with Seattle right now. That's a standard order of business in a quarterback negotiation process. If not more, if not more years maximized with total guarantees. All of that seemed great. And at the time, I think we even said out loud, look, this is is the contract he was supposed to get at any point in time. It's the structure. It's the cash flow. It's the signing bonus. All of that, that Dak wiggled out of this thing. Why? Because he had all the leverage. Because he had all the leverage, because there was a thirty-eight million dollar second franchise tag sitting there that was holding that cap hit on a team that had a massively expensive offensive line, a massively expensive edge rusher at the time, and a massively expensive running back. Not to mention Amari Cooper's twenty million per year at the time. In other words, they put the quarterback contract last, and in doing so, they forfeited their ability clearly, to structure this thing to work for them. Now, 75 million cash up front with a $66 million bonus ended up giving them nice cap hits, right? There was a halfway decent low cap hit that actually got lower because they converted his base salary the day before the season actually started. They restructured Dak Prescott's contract six months after he signed it. Before the, se- the first season on it even started. So there's everything you need to know right there. They were up against it. This thing was structured in Dak's favor, not in Dallas's favor. And you can hem and haw about should Dak have done better. At that point in time, he got put through the ringer, right? Had two franchise tags. I'm the guy. I've been the guy since day one. I was never supposed to be the guy. You had Tony Romo. You drafted me in the middle round. as sort of a Hail Mary backup plan. And I ended up being the guy. And that's where it got to. It got to six years later. I'm finally getting the contract. If anything, the AAV is the concession. We could have, should have, would have been higher. Now, the injury probably impacted that a little bit, but I'm talking structure here. And like I said, and I'm going to say it again because I want to back up my passive aggressiveness and a lot of the comments that are being made out there. There is a significant amount of cash flow on this, front loaded immediate not to mention that 95 million in escrow that impacts any franchise including jerry jones including the dallas cowboys so fair point from jerry however self-induced don't let the quarterback contract get this far right baltimore's finding out and by the way baltimore the reason i've been absolutely slamming my hand down this time saying baltimore is going to let this thing get to a trade it's going to happen it's going to have to happen because the contract. That Dallas, the Jerry Jones and Dallas gave Dak Prescott with seventy-five million up front, ninety-five million at signing, all these wonderful player-friendly items. Baltimore's never doing it, <laughs> never. Okay, it's never going to happen. And if it happens, it will be one hundred percent precedent-setting. It, it will be a brand new era of Baltimore Ravens business. Truly, okay, they have never gone this route. The Joe Flacco contract could couldn't be more traditional right? They haven't broken stride for anybody. I think there were a couple of players that they really wanted to, but they haven't. They've, they have stuck to their guns. They've been you know mildly successful in doing so. But if Lamar thinks this is the kind of leverage he's pulling out of this, it's not there. Dak, Dak was able to do it. And it affected Dallas's payroll, cash payroll. However, I made note of it. I'm going to make a bigger note of it now. That was March 2021, Dak's four-year extension. (laughs) In September of 2019, Dallas handed Zeke Elliott a great player. And by the way, and I had to look again because I didn't want to come up here and and sound like an idiot. Dak has continued to be great. All right. And there's been injuries, but not as many as we think. All right. Since he signed the contract in 2019, right before the start of that season, he played 16 games, then 15, then 17, then 15. Okay? He's averaging a, right around 1,100 yards per season. Right around oh, 48. I'm doing this off the top of my head. About 48 catches. Now, that came down significantly last season, as did much of his role. But last four seasons, touchdowns scored 12 12, 8, 14. Okay. Tons of production. This guy's not just a polarizing figure and a cool trading card. All right. He is productive. And there's a lot of teams that would take this. Now he's going on 28. You know, there was certainly some decline last year, missed a couple games as well. And, you know, Pollard clearly took over that role. No question about it but we got to go back to the contract here. I just wanted to get that out front. I am not sitting here saying this is not a player that should have, got, have gotten a contract. He, is, he was worth it when it was signed and he has remained worth it since. But no running back, <laughs> no running back should have guarantees in year four. And that's just a brutal, terrible, disgusting fact right now. It's just a fact. Okay. This was an eight year contract. It was signed the first time that he became extension eligible, immediately after, well, not immediately, but after that third year. Like I said, it was September just before the season started. So they gave the whole off season and then did this. And Zeke had a holdout, I think he went to Cabo, whatever it was. But they turned two years remaining on on a first round contract, right? The fourth year plus the fifth year option, which was exercised. They turned those two years into six new seasons, eight seasons total. Okay. And four of those eight had some form of guarantee. And not only did it have some form of guarantee, it had an early guarantee 28 million guaranteed at signing, right? You, everybody th- hears that and thinks, what are we complaining about here? They could have got no, no, there is no out. The potential outline in this contract has been after 2022 since the contract was signed, four years out. It's a phenomenal deal for Zeke Elliott. It's four years, 50 million, basically. That's what he he was going to get. It sure sounds like he's going to get more of this, right? And by the way, productivity-wise, he should get more of this. So if they can figure this out, keep that cap low, maybe drop the $11 million cash a little bit and keep him around, I get it, you know? but he's going to make upwards of $60 million off of this contract, tacked on to $20 million from his rookie contract. Talking about an $80 million running back here. It's awesome. And he's been great. Enough said there. But how in the hell do you have a running back contract that was signed as early as humanly possible with four years of of upfront or early vesting guarantees and a quarterback contract with three years of upfront or early vesting guarantees. That's a problem for Dak Prescott. That's a significant problem. By the way, they were trying to go longer, Dallas. And one of the things Dak said was, well, you waited too damn long. All right. And I'm not going to be in this huge long contract at age 32 and have almost zero chance of re-upping this thing. I give him credit for that. That was another concession that he made on with his leverage. All right. They wanted five, maybe even six years. They wanted to be able to option bonus and spread everything out like they love to do with and they did it with Zeke. And he refused. He refused to give into their structure. And as we noted before, it became his structure. And it's a damaging structure cash wise for the Dallas Cowboys, at least for a year or two, right? It's 95 over two years for Dak Prescott, just you know, damn near 50 a year on this contract. It's all about him and that's fine. Uh, He got put through the ringer as I've already said out loud, but you got a quarterback contract with three years guaranteed and you got a running back contract with four, (laughs) okay? (laughs) So there are a lot of teams that are looking at this situation and saying, Jerry, you did this to you, man. Okay? The Amari Cooper comp- contract I thought was perfect and they traded it. And they traded it for a can of beans. Now in hindsight, having seen the freaking wide receiver offseason we had last year. So again, that now dips below the Zeke contract because I thought it was perfect. It was year-year at 20 million a year, which now is, you know, second tier, third tier pay for a WR1. And you had cd Lamb on this rookie contract. You had a great situation set up one two one two financially. Now you're gonna pay Lamb, you're gonna keep Zeke, you're gonna extend Dak, you gotta rebuild this half of this offensive line, you got an edge rusher to pay, and then next year's Micah Parsons. So it's a tough time. And I think they really got caught with this one. There is no question that I believe that they wanted Zeke Elliott around. No question. There is also no question in my mind that there is is not a person in that front office, some of which may not be there anymore, maybe because of this specifically, that doesn't regret the Zeke Elliott contract, the structure of it, the early guarantee of it, the length of it, everything. Nobody else is going this route. Not a single team. Doesn't mean it's, it's immediately wrong because of that. But in this case, it's wrong. Okay? the only silver lining in my opinion is that you were able to, to overpay zeke and underpay pollard and maximize production at that position right they they kind of worked that beautifully so to keep zeke around even even with the dead cap structure that that they have and then slap a tag on pollard are they just tripling down on this whole situation it concerns me okay because they have been all over franchise tags this past decade. You know, Dalton Schultz last year, obviously Dak the year before. And now they're going to put a running back on a tag, which isn't going to break the bank, but when you toss in the disease situation, it's going, to, it's going to add up. Some quick numbers. Because I don't want to just totally blow the Cowboys apart here. I, I told you I'd have some numbers. Total team cash spending. If we go back to 2016, when Dak was drafted and immediately thrown in the fire, 16 games he started. They went 13 and three. They lost in the divisional round series to the Green Bay Packers. So it was a phenomenal season. And the reason I'm setting things up this way is they were 10th in the league in cash spending that year, which is fine, but it has no impact on this conversation, right? It, they didn't even know what they had in, in Dak Prescott yet. When they were spending their free agent money and blah, 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 Dak was not even on the roster yet, right? He was not even drafted at that point. So that number is moot. The, the important part of that conversation was that Dak Prescott started 16 games, went 13 and three and went to the divisional round and lost to Aaron Rodgers. A phenomenal start to, the, to his career, after, coming literally out of nowhere, you know? So now they knew what they had. Now they knew they were going to move off of Romo. Now they knew where the, the, the immediate new direction that this franchise was going. Here's the problem. 2017 cash spending in the league, 30th. 2018 cash spending in the league, 30th. That's it. That's a period, exclamation point, exclamation point. Okay? (laughs) That's the mistake. That's why they're in this massive contract, massive cap, constant restructure mess if they had Philadelphia eagled this thing, if they had Miami Dolphin this thing, to some degree Buffalo, even though a lot of Buffalo is really homegrown, but you you can talk about the digs trade and a lot of things. If they had recognized the situation and immediately put their foot down on the gas pedal from a business standpoint, right? Let's go buy a cornerback. Let's go buy an inside linebacker, right? Because this is well before Micah Parsons. Let's go buy as many weapons as possible to put this thing around Dak Prescott. Think about the wide receivers who were with Amari Cooper at this time, who wasn't even here yet. Now they went and got Cooper from the Raiders. So that was one buy. But how can you see how can you catch lightning in a bottle in 2016 and then just sit on your hands and ride it out? And and the reason I'm able to look at this number alone and say they did that is obviously new contracts would have signing bonuses signing bonuses inflate cash payouts that would move would move them well up the list in cash spending in any, any given year to be 30th two years in a row with a rookie quarterback a fourth round rookie quarterback it's just preposterous it's just insane okay it's insane and still they continue to restructure and move capital. you got to be a, an absolute revolving door Right. If you're if your contract doesn't work for us, we're gonna find somebody that does work. And if we have to overpay for it, we're doing it. Cause this two to three year window we have with Dak now in this unbelievable rookie contract is going to become, you know, an ice cream Sunday the size of a mountain. And we have to utilize it right now. They didn't. They didn't start doing their damage until 2019 with that Zeke contract, with the, the Marcus Lawrence contract, with all that those bells and whistles. Then finally in 2020, they got themselves the third in cash. And then obviously in 2021, second in cash because of the big gigantic 75 million DAX situation plus some, like a franchise tag and all sorts of stuff. I just think they missed their window. That's, that's my point. And by the way, it could very well be why the Dak Prescott situation dragged for so long, right? Because after 2019... They probably started looking around and thinking, well, how the hell are we going to manage this cap? And how, how what are we going to do with that? And how, we're going to continue to extend to Marcus Lawrence. What are we going to do with that? Just keep restructuring and we get give him a new deal. There were a lot of tough decisions to make. So again, I'm going back to the Jerry Jones conversation where he basically said the quarterback contract really, you know, was a stamp on top of our business situation. Of course it was. Of course it was. But also at that point in time, before they had signed Dak, my guess was they're looking around thinking, shit, <laughs> right? How are we doing? How did we miss this so bad? Look, Zeke is great. If you don't sign Zeke in 2019 and you're just throwing money at a defense instead, nobody's going to argue with you. Nobody. Now, you know, there's a lot of Zeke fans out there, especially in Dallas, who would be pretty pissed off about it for six months until, you know, the second round pick you drafted, or yada, 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 brought in off the street, was 85% as productive, right? It's just how that works at that position, unfortunately. But so many decisions came late. And then eventually, the quarterback, right? Because that, for some reason, was the last piece of this puzzle. And my thinking is this. My thinking is, they looked back at 17, 18, and 19, and when Dak was sitting there, now well, you know, well eligible for an extension after 2019, Dak's looking around saying, Where the hell's my money? And they're looking around saying, Why do we have all these contracts to pay? Well, I'm raising my hand over here. Okay. It's because if you had structured a massive free agent blow in 2017, just like a gigantic class, right? And slightly front loaded, but normally, you know, you know, 2017 took a hit, 2018 took a bigger hit, cap and cash. That's standard for any free agent signing, you know, class that you want to keep around for multi-years. Most of those contracts could have probably fallen off after one season and you could have done it all over again in 2018. But you're getting my point. If you had blown the doors off of 2017 with spending wise and then backed that up with What did we miss in 2018, which is standard protocol now. It's what Buffalo's going through. It's what the Eagles are about to go through. Certainly Miami, after their big offseason last year, they're going to plug some holes all offseason here as much as possible. If they had gone that route, many of those contracts would have, the guarantees would be falling off by 2019, 2020, which would have made signing Dak way easier. Well, look, we're going to cap casualty a couple of those great signings that gave us, you know, a couple extra wins every year for the past two seasons in Dak's, in Dak's rookie window. But we got to blow that blow that away right now because we got to bring Dak in on a $60 million bonus and, you know, $90 million guaranteed. That would have been standard protocol. That's how basically everybody else is about to do this, right? The Cincinnati Bengals, they're going to cut Mixon. They're going to cut Lyle Collins. And those are going to be the casualties that are going to allow, from a cap and cash standpoint, Joe Burrow to get a big bag of, <laughs> of, of dollars, Right. Philadelphia doesn't even have to because they've got so many contracts falling off their roster. They're just going to start with the Jalen Hurts contract and then fill in the blanks after that and hope that whatever they were able to do works and generally speaking they've been able to do that in the past. So that's where we're going, you know. I, I think that I think maybe the Chargers situation is a little bit like this Dallas one. Now, they've done some spending, okay, keeping their own, bringing in some heat. Maybe they've fallen in love a little too much with with their own players, which is very Dallasy, and that's hurt them. But they've gone J.C. Jackson, they've gone they've gone big time, right? Derwin was a big pick and a big contract. They've done their work in the Herbert window, man. Now, unfortunately, that window's closed because he's about to get back. Um, but that feels a little Dallasy, right? The injuries, these, the 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 drafted players that sort of just kind of get pushed, pushed along, pushed along, pushed along, when maybe they should be moved on from and immediately upgraded because this is our go time, this, you know, gas pedal all the way down. So I, I, I'd attribute a chargers Dallas combination a little bit, but not since you know, they play on their own set of rules and certainly you can talk the Ravens as much as you want. And I'm going to hear in a second, but, um, that's it long, 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 long story short, I think they botched this DAC DAC contract. And it very well could have been that they didn't believe in it, right? How the hell did we just get this fourth rounder basically off the street to usurp our, you know, golden boy Tony Romo, who couldn't play anyway with his back? And should we believe this? Should we truly invest around this player right now instead of just saying, all right. This is Russell Wilson 2.0. We got one. Let's go. Let's spend, let's spend, let's spend. And then when it's time to pay him, we'll figure it out and ke- if we can keep going or if we've got to draw back a little bit. 30th, 30th, 17th, 3rd, 2nd, 29th. That's the cash spending of the Dallas Cowboys in the Dak Prescott era. It's backwards. It's backwards. <laughs> okay. So, yep. The quarterback contract definitely hurts. Makes it difficult. does not It's not impossible. Okay, Patrick Mahomes just won a freaking Super Bowl, everybody. It's not impossible. And I'm not even talking cap, right? We're talking cash. But you gotta play the game right. There's a formula, there's a template. And certainly the template is that the league is handing you a rookie wage scale. They are they have handed you this wonderful gift. And if you are if you are lucky enough to rub the genie, (laughs) right? To rub the genie and have a quarterback come out of it, especially outside of the first round you now have a two to three year window of absolute pixie desk being draped all over your franchise. And if you just sit there and let the dust settle and let things play out as they will, it's going to look a lot like Dallas from 2017 on. And if you say, holy crap, we just won the lottery. Let's go spend this money on a truckload of immediate talent Maybe it'll look like some of these other other rosters that are flooring themselves up to the up to the top of their conferences. Let's talk about the Ravens a little bit, because uh, the Lamar stuff's not going away. We've got the deadline in about forty eight hours here, less than right for this franchise tag, which I will I do believe he's getting. Uh, I don't even care which one he gets at this point in time. Um, there's a there's part of me out there that thinks. The Ravens are just going to say, We're done with this. And non exclusive tag them at 32.4 and put them on the trade block and take two first round picks and say, Okay, that's it. Because it'll be quick and dirty and get them out here. And they can sort of dictate the team. There'll be more teams in so they can work with Lamar and make sure it's the right team for everybody. And it's a team that maybe doesn't affect them too much. Um, But if they exclusive tag them, and make things a little bit more complicated. That's their prerogative. And it's certainly better business because I do think there's much more than two first round picks out there for a player like Lamar Jackson, especially if the right team and the one team specifically that I've been saying all along is actually willing to go in. Now, my thinking is, you know, executive A and executive B from the Baltimore Ravens and this mystery team probably just had. A couple of nice conversations in Indianapolis this past week, right? And there's probably an understanding of what their what Executive B's team is willing to offer up, is willing to pay Lamar Jackson because obviously Lamar's not doing anything; he's not signing any kind of franchise tag unless he knows exactly what kind of money is sitting on the other side of that rainbow. So, it would be, in my opinion, very telling if Tuesday morning. An exclusive tag is offered to Lamar Jackson, which again will come at thirty two point four upfront until April when things can be adjusted to that actual exclusive number based on the top quarterback top five quarterback salaries at that point in time. Not now, then. And then there's just a negotiation process. And it's either Lamar, here's our last offer from Baltimore. You know, it's one hundred and seventy five million fully guaranteed it's a five-year contract. We're not going longer. We're not giving you shorter, fully guaranteed. This is our offer. We want some flexibility with the cap. We don't want to go $200 million guaranteed. It's uh, too much out of our pockets up front, and it's just too much risk with your injury history. And Lamar says, great. I want five for 220. End of conversation. Fully guaranteed. And Baltimore says, God bless goodwill. Go get it somewhere else. You know, hopefully you're getting 50 fully guaranteed per year. Um, We have a team that has told us that they're willing to give us, you know, the draft compensation that we're looking for. And they're willing to give you upwards of 200 million fully guaranteed. So, you know, more than we were able to offer. Probably not exactly what you're looking for, but we think you're going to be able to negotiate a good, fair, strong value contract with them. So we want to make the move. We need you to play ball to do that. And obviously, if you've listened to me before, you know that, that I'm thinking the Atlanta Falcons here, who I do think have the right, at least start of a system in place offensively, especially on the offensive line, to, now look, it's going to cost, right? Because they got pay to pay a guard, pay a center, pay a right tackle, rebuild an entire defense, great free agency to do that, and then acquire and extend Lamar Jackson. But I think it's a pretty... A massively aggressive but intelligent move for a franchise that essentially has been rebuilding this thing slowly on the fly for only about three years now, right? The Matt Ryan stuff really fell off quickly. Obviously, Julio dropped off a, a cliff there after a couple of seasons. Um, but this is, you know, it's not too long ago that they they're in the Super Bowl. So I, I think this is a team that can smell it still and just has to throw a ton of money at an offseason here. Quarterback included, and I think that there's that 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 possibility is is sitting out there now. Does it ever get to fruition? Who knows. But and by the way, not the only team. I think Washington would be partially available for this. I think the Jets at least are sniffing around this. Carolina very much sniffing around this. Um. So we'll see. But in all this conversation similar financial questions are coming up about did baltimore do enough in the, in the Lamar jackson era now they're very different conversations in my opinion because lamar came out not just swinging he was a late first round pick he was an mvp he immediately rose to can this be the the, the new wave of quarterback right it's not just uh, is this is this what rg3 could have been had he stayed healthy, had he really developed his game, ha- had he understood the progressions better. You know, Lamar got better and better and better and better, and then injuries. So Baltimore was never going to do this, guys. We talked, this, we talked about this. I think my old buddies, Paul Peck and Kevin Sylvester, were around with me back when we were doing those shows. And I think we all came to an agreement that where he was drafted, and how he was brought into the system and then how quickly he rose to the top and then how quickly things sort of started to deteriorate. Not so much production wise, but just, just the availability, the trust, some of the things that were being said out loud from Lamar and from others, other side of this, his lack of an agent. There's just a lot of angles that are red flags. And I, I told those guys five years ago on this show, If any team's going to do this, if any team is going to not just slow play, but literally run this thing to a course and then chop it off at the quarterback, it's going to be Baltimore, who are, as I mentioned, rigid, stubborn, strict, and to some degree frugal with the way that they do business. It's intelligent. I'm not saying it's not. It's, you know, at some point in time, you got to be able to go out and, and, uh, you know, stick your neck out for something. It, it To me, it never seemed as though Lamar Jackson was going to be that. Now, maybe one of these sides caves and he remains a Baltimore Raven on some form of contract that we've been talking about here. I don't see it happening. And I didn't see it happening five years ago. So this isn't a huge surprise to me that we're here. Now, I, I wish Lamar had shut us all up and stayed healthy and stayed available and stayed on that upward trajectory where he certainly came out of the gate, you know, flying, but it didn't happen. And unfortunately, this is what most teams assume are going to happen with, with multi-versatile running quarterbacks like this. So this wasn't the guy, this isn't the guy that proved us wrong. And by the way, Deshaun Watson wasn't the guy either. So you can speak until you're blue in the face about the contract that he has, but you have to talk about why he has it, not that he has it. He didn't get it because of what he did on the field. Okay. Partially, for sure. But there's an awful lot built into that. Okay. He was basically thrown into a slingshot, pulled back, and just sat there waiting for six teams to bid on him, four of them aggressively, three of them sounds like fully guaranteed. And here we are. I don't think there's a GM in the league, including. The ones that were bidding on Deshaun Watson at that point in time, who are willing to do that again, even for Lamar, who I think is a better quarterback. So I don't think Baltimore is going to get there. But did they do enough in the era of Lamar Jackson, assuming that it's not over? Team cash spending, same conversation as, as the Dallas Cowboys we had a couple minutes ago. Lamar came in 2018. Baltimore's total spending was... 32nd, 18th, 16th, 11th, and 20th. And 20th included Lamar's fifth year option. How about the wide receivers around him? Cash spending during the Lamar Jackson era 18th, 20th, 30th, 25th, 32nd. I pulled the PFF grades for the top three wide receivers in Baltimore each of those seasons. Out of the 15 grades, right? Three per season, five seasons. Out of the 15 grades, only two were in the top 50, 49th and 47th. Both of those grades went to Marquise Brown, Hollywood Brown, who was traded last draft to Arizona with no replacement in mind. They didn't draft his replacement. They simply just said, okay, Bateman and, and, and Devin DuVernay, you're the guys now. We're going young, even younger and cheaper because we're not going to pay Hollywood and he knows it and he wants out. That's it. So the one guy who was actually cracking, you know, the top 50 among wide receivers. You traded away before Lamar could even basically, get, you know, get a grasp on him. That's a problem. And you can say this is all jaded and there's I'm angling and uh, come on. That's a problem. Okay, if, I, if I'm giving you this conversation with Dallas in total team spending, and I just told you basically <laughs> the Ravens are exactly the same, right? I think Their five-year average here is 19th in the league. So less than, a, less than half. And then we focus on wide receivers. And it's not like running backs were any better. R- rookie running backs, across the board. Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobb, across the board. Mark Ingram got a cup of coffee and then was traded, brought back and then was traded. (laughs) Now, to be fair, I thought it was necessary because this is something I'm not hearing other people doing. Okay. The pushback on this conversation is, okay, but they're a tight end friendly offense. Yes. Okay. So I brought all the tight end numbers in and they're obviously better. You know, the Mark Andrews contract and even some higher draft picks with with higher rookie wage scale contracts. Here's your tight end spending in the Lamar era, ranked in the league. 11th, 12th, 26th, 3rd, 1st, last year, 1st. PFF rankings, four tight ends in the Lamar era. I took the top two tight ends each season. That's 10 out of five years. Two top fives, four top 15s five top 20s. It's good. It's good. I mean, it's not elite. Mark Andrews was above average. There's no question about it. And the tight end twos were acceptable. I mean, most, most of these grades are in the top 50. Most. In fact, all but one. So nine out of 10 are in the top 50. So there, you can definitely offset this conversation a little bit here. A little bit. total receiving. Now I'm combining the tight end conversation and the wide receiver conversation into one. Okay. Total cash in the Lamar era. 19th, 20th, 31st, 10th, 26th. It's just not good enough. Okay. And the total PFF grades for those those players in the Lamar era, rankings in the league, 27th, 15th, 28th, 20th, 26th. It's not good enough. So all those people out there, you know, trying to do a hot take this conversation. It's a real conversation. I mean, it's a real conversation. The Baltimore Ravens did not do enough, did not spend enough, did not acquire enough talent in any way possible, right? There's not a trade sitting out there, right? In fact, they brought Sammy Watkins back from the dead after three other teams had already tried that, <clears throat> okay? It's a real conversation. The numbers back it up. It's not just the first take discussion. It's real. Lamar was not given enough opportunities in terms of offensive talent. Now, yes, they paid the offensive line. I love what they did with their secondary. I think they probably have a surplus at the secondary, even though they don't have the weapons. It's kind of a Green Bay conversation to some degree. They didn't pay the inside linebacker, right? And then they acquired one and paid him. Didn't understand that. This is all in the Lamar era. I get it. It's a big roster. There's a lot of decisions. But to me, it's just another simple example of we hit lightning in a bottle, late first round pick, which even gives us the fifth year option, which is a great advantage. Of course, they're going to use it They're Baltimore. So how do you have that and not say, all right, we can push the gamut on the running backs, on on the wide receivers. It's not like they went and acquired a tight end and paid him. No, they had him. They had him on a rookie contract and extended him. And he Produced I mean, that's what's supposed to happen in a lot of cases, but they didn't go anywhere outside the box. And in fact, they traded away, their best available option, maybe in the most important Lamar season ever. It's unacceptable. And I hate to sit here and be negative Nelly constantly, but it's 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 I'm giving Lamar Jackson his fairness right now because he's about to change courses significantly in my opinion. again, i'm I know nothing, I've heard nothing. Just reading the tea leaves here. So I think Dallas went backwards in the way that they managed the DAC situation and paid for it, literally 100% cash. And Baltimore will refuse to pay for it. Baltimore will say, well, we did it our way. It didn't get us to where we wanted it to be. But, you know, and and they're they're thinking is Lamar just didn't hold up his end of the bargain. He couldn't stay healthy. He didn't come back this playoffs because he was pissed off about everything and and slightly injured, whatever. They didn't do enough. Okay. There's enough numbers out there and these are only on the surface. Okay. There's a lot smarter people out there doing deeper dives than this. And I promise you that they get the same result. They didn't do enough. They didn't do enough. They had draft assets. They were able to acquire one of the best off-ball linebackers in the league. But you couldn't get a wide receiver didn't do enough so me personally this is my pledge that i hope the lamar era in baltimore is over because <laughs> i think the guy before he gets too old or too injured obviously one of those things is uh, very very possible in the near future deserves a fair shake deserves an organization that is willing to say okay you are the window now you're here you're the window let's go let's do this properly and hopefully it's a team like atlanta that has you know, four-fifths of an offensive line in place that has a defensive, uh, you know, lineman in Grady Jarrett, you know, the, kind of those unicorn players that some teams are going way too high in the draft for and then missing out on. In my opinion, the, the Falcons are set up to make the biggest zero to 60 jump with a hell of a lot of cash and a ton of draft capital given up. To bring in this this whole arsenal, to rebuild the defense on the fly, to bring in Lamar, and to properly build around him. And by the way, for the for a year or two, it can kind of look and look and feel like the Baltimore offense, right? Because the Kyle that Kyle Pitts situation's nice. It's a good running offensive line. Obviously, the Cordero Patterson Tyler Algier situation is nice if they can retain those services. They've shown they can do a little bit of everything. Is my point. And there's this guy named Drake London there. <laughs> Right, and that's probably the player that he's just simply hasn't had. So I'm looking for this. I'm rooting for this. I've been rooting for this for over a year now. This has been the team that I've identified for Lamar Jackson for a long time now because they were trending upward quickly after that Matt Ryan debacle, and uh, I think they're ready for it. So we'll see where we go. It's going to be a fascinating couple of weeks here. The uh, franchise tag deadline is March 7th, Tuesday, March 7th, 4 p.m. Eastern the negotiation periods for free agency start March 13th, the league year is March 15th, and then we're off and running. More quarterback contract talks coming soon. Uh, For those of you who follow me on Twitter at SpotTrack, I did a Daniel Jones and a Geno Smith mock contract, a full breakdown. Uh, And I'll bury the lead. Daniel Jones was five years, 200 million I think that 40 mark is where everything uh, falls into place if it falls into place I'm, i'm positive there's a franchise tag coming for him uh by tuesday maybe right at the deadline but i think when it all when the dust settles somewhere along the lines of that 40 million per year somewhere along the lines of 90 million or so guaranteed at signing Uh, you know, a $50 million bonus. Maybe there's an option bonus if Joe Shane tries to go the Brandon Bean route with a double bonus structure. Uh, I didn't do it that way. Uh, If you you follow me on Twitter, you'll see my breakdown. Basically, I threw him a nice bonus, uh, you know, a little over 50 million cash the first year. And I threw a gigantic massive roster bonus in year two. And basically, that's the fork in the road, right? That's the... Well, we can tolerate the $42.5 million cap hit if we have to, if the Giants basically are, are saying, God, we got to get out of this thing as quickly as possible. Or if they're happy, if they're content, they restructure that massive roster bonus, flip it down with a couple of void years and and uh, and go from there and drop that cap hit and keep the train moving with their Daniel Jones and the Giants in 2024 and beyond. So I, I kind of built in the uh, the if-then condition into Daniel Jones' five-year contract. I'm starting to hear... That it might be a smaller contract, but at that price point, so maybe four for one sixty around that. So that drops. You know, is that eighty million guaranteed at signing? Then it's possible. It's probably around right. But I, I think what I put together there at least makes some sort of logical sense. And then with Geno Smith, I, I don't think the franchise tag is coming for Geno Smith. So, um, I, I and by the way, I don't necessarily disagree with that move because I think I've said it a couple times, certainly on Seattle radio. Who who are the who are the Seahawks going to be competing against? You know this was kind of the Baker Mayfield conversation we had, and you know the Carson Wentz trade value conversation we had. Who the hell were the Commanders competing against for for in acquiring Carson Wentz at full value? Right, no retained salary. I just don't know. So I, I feel the same way about Geno Smith. Now there's been talks that that the, about a reunion with the Jets that. Maybe Washington themselves would be considering Geno Smith. I, I think everybody else in the league should be looking at him as toxic, not for not for negative reasons, just because this is a one-to-one scenario. This Seahawks offense, this coaching staff, these weapons, it's all working for Geno Smith right now. And it is a lot to ask this player to go somewhere else, start fresh, learn it all in the offseason, step in and be of equal value. It's just a lot to ask. And I don't think anybody's going to pay for that big of a question mark. So I laid out three for 75 with Seattle, uh, 23 and change per year. Basically what this is, guys, is a cap adjusted version of Blake Bortles back in 2018 with the Jaguars. It's a little bit more and it should be because the cap has just skyrocketed. So percentage-wise, right, in- percentage wise, right? Percentage increase wise, if this thing gets to 25 million a year, God bless it, right? It's three for 75, $30 million bonus. 55 guaranteed at signing, right? 2 years fully guaranteed, 55 million over those 2 years and then a third year option essentially. It's probably right. If we're talking what a franchise tag would be, 32.4, a second would be around 39. So you're in that 70 million dollar range. But, you know, for cap flexibility purposes, we're dropping it down into the 50s. I think it makes sense. Um I don't know that we get there. This might not be a March 15th announcement or certainly a March 7th announcement with the, with the franchise tag deadline. So I believe there's a chance that he is allowed to test the market, that Seattle is basically going to say, look, we definitely want to sign you, but you know your numbers are too much for us, blah, blah, blah. Go find this somewhere else and then come back to us, give us a chance to match, blah, blah, blah. And Seattle's basically saying we don't think you're going to have these offers out there. We don't think these numbers exist outside of this room, and uh, we're willing to bet that you can't go go find it. And once you don't come back, and we'll start talking about the contract offer we have. That's my read in this situation. It's a good. I think it's a good move by Seattle. I don't think there's too much risk in losing him. And you know what else they have in their back pocket? (laughs) They've got that wonderful, beautiful, leveraged number five overall pick from Denver in the Russell Wilson trade, which is basically a sign they should put up in the negotiation room with Geno Smith, right? Here's why we're not overpaying for you, man, <laughs> okay? Here's why we're not doing it. My thinking is they can draft somebody at five and sign Geno Smith. Both those things can happen. Slow so we'll play this whole process. And if the number five pick, whatever, Levis, you know, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson, whoever the hell it is, It's just too good to sit, then you pivot. But I don't think we're going to get a tag situation, and I don't think Geno Smith is going to get outpriced on the market. So I'm I'm, I'm predicting a slower play with this than I am with the Giants and Daniel Jones, who I do think would get a significant contract offer from at least one team, maybe two or three, if he's able to walk on March 15th. So tag coming for him, in my opinion. Not so much for Geno Smith and Lamar Jackson you've heard plenty about. It's almost baseball time. March 30th is opening day. The World Baseball Classic is this week. Plenty to watch. Plenty to get to. Opening day rosters are coming together. I'm starting to put guys in the minors finally. That's a good sign. That means we're getting down from 40 to 26 on the actives. And uh, we'll have plenty to talk about. Cousin Dan is feverishly creating notes, gambling ideas all sorts of uh baseball related content coming to the spot podcast soon for scott allen my name is mike Chenetti. thanks for listening to this edition of the spot podcast